Okay, it's late in the afternoon on Sunday. We were at church on the beach this morning and everything was going along very well as normal. And about three minutes before I finished the sermon, a person came up that was very belligerent. Eventually we had to call the police and they had to take care of this guy. You know, he doesn't believe that we should be in public places speaking about religious matters, which is exactly what the uh, First Amendment of the Constitution guarantees. But he's one of these liberal thinking people that think that we have to completely disassociate our personal lives from our religious lives, from our, you know, societal lives. It's it, just insane. So anyway, the cops took care of him, but it did ruin the uh, video. And um, so I've come back home to redo the uh, sermon. I did redo it one time. I had it all filmed and I went in to process it and come to find out that um, the uh, film was out of focus because I had nobody to stand in the camera to get it into focus for me. So it's been kind of a long and trying day. I do want to do this sermon for you so that you have it. And uh, I'm going to make it as short as I can. I'm not going to cut anything out of the sermon itself, but I'm going to skip the uh, this day in history and the weekly reading and the uh, Psalms and all that. And we're just going to go straight into the sermon. And I hope that the Lord will bless it this time because it's been a very long and trying day. But the Lord is good and there's a reason why everything happens. And maybe something will pop into my mind that uh, will benefit you in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise said. I don't know. May the Lord, Lord be glorified through it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and just read the first uh, eight verses of chapter 21, which is the text for the uh, sermon today. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 21, verse 1. And the Lord vi- visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And so here we go. The word of the Lord in our sermon today. It's Genesis 21 verses 1 through 8. He brings laughter and laughter is his name. We finally come to the birth of Isaac today. We've seen God promise to Abraham that a son would come, and then he gave the promise again. We've also seen that prior to him, Abraham had another son. It was Ishmael. And as we've noted a couple times, and we will note again, Ishmael is a picture of the bondage of the law. On the other hand, Isaac is born free. He's the son of promise, and he is a picture of faith in Jesus Christ apart from the bondage of the law. Every story and every detail within every story in the Bible is a wonderful testament to the dealings of God with man and becomes a picture of the coming Christ in one way or another. When we feel like life is overwhelming us and things are spinning out of control, all we need to do is to pick up the Bible and to read it, go through its pages, and we can see God's hand of care and protection upon us. It's a beautiful thing to ponder as we read the Bible. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are brought near to God and we are adopted as his children. And what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we might be called the children of God. Hallelujah and amen for that. Our text verse for today is Romans 9, it's verses 8 and 9. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. 
God is faithful to keep his promises, and he is abundantly pleased in those who have faith in them and rely on them in their daily walk. In fact, this is truly the only thing that we can actually offer to the Lord is our faith. If we love him, if we praise him, if we worship him for who he is, it is because we have faith that he does exist and that he has revealed himself to us in the way the Bible describes. When speaking of God, praise without faith is not true praise. And worship without faith is not true worship. Everything about our relationship with God ultimately comes down to faith. It is based on faith. And that means proper faith because misdirected faith is wasted faith. And so may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought for the day is the Lord visits his people. We have in the Old Testament a word that we use and translate as the word visit or maybe visited. It often indicates a divine intervention on, by God on behalf of God's people or in fulfillment of his plan. The word that we use is pakad, and it means to visit graciously. Depending on the context, it can mean a host of other things, such as maybe being an overseer. But even that, being an overseer, hints at a watchful eye and careful attention. God has carefully watched over Abraham and Sarah, and he has carefully attended to them thus far. Today, we will see more attention doted upon his two cherished creatures. We come to verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Here is the first use of the word pakad in the Bible. The Lord visited Sarah. It's a divine intervention. It is to meet his perfect plan, and it is in his perfect timing. And how did he visit her? He visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. She's mentioned twice in this verse because it is she who laughed at the promise of a coming son, and then she lied about having laughed. Here's the short account, and it explains why Sarah is addressed twice and why it's the first verse in this particular context. Verse 13 of chapter 18, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So what's happened here is similar to what happens to Peter after he denied Jesus. You remember, if you've read the account, Peter denied Jesus three times and then was asked up at the Sea of Galilee how many he, he was asked by Jesus, Do you love me? And it was three times. Sarah laughed and then lied. And so today's verse is used as a restoration of those faults. Just as the three do you loves me, love me were restorations of Peter's three denials. Some of us here may actually have laughed at the promises of God. I know Christian believers who even to this day laugh at the concept of a rapture. That's just they don't believe in it. And when I first met Christ, I kind of smirked at it too. I thought, how are millions of Christians just going to disappear first? And secondly, how is the whole world not going to be converted when that happens? Well, the answer is clear. God created everything. He can do whatever he wants with his creation. And as we learned from our sermon about Lot, when the people came to attack him, the people were blinded so they couldn't find the door. And that was a picture of the blindness that will come upon the people of the world. 
And so it really is no problem at all that the people will simply deny the rapture. People love to deny anything that makes sense. We have people that deny the Holocaust, even though President Eisenhower, when he was a general in the army, he and they went into the concentration camps, he said, make pictures of everything, take photos and film of everything, because if we don't, people will deny this happened. And yet people still deny it. We got that crazy guy in charge of Iran who simply denies that the Holocaust exists or, or occurred, even though there's abundant proof that it did. Even more crazy are these people, and I have a friend that I went to Israel with that believes this. She believes that the U.S. government blew up the Twin Towers. They put a bomb in the bottom of it and blew it up and it fell down. Even though we all watch the airplanes fly into the top of the building and the building fall from the top down, dum, 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 instead of going from the bottom and everything going that way. But people want to believe the lie rather than the truth. People believe Mormonism, even though science through DNA and artifacts through archaeology and even the nature of God, as we can tell from the creation and also from the Bible itself, prove that Mormonism is false. We will believe anything simply because someone in authority said that it's so. It is as if our minds have a toggle switch that is set to believe anything except God. Don't take God at his word. And we have to manually change that toggle switch to say, yes, take God at his word. And then the setting becomes our new default. This verse here is reminding us that Sarah had her toggle switch on the wrong setting. But despite her doubt, the Lord fulfilled his word exactly as he promised. So let each one of us remember this is God's word. It is written, it is sealed, and it has his stamp of authenticity on it. And therefore, we have every reason to believe it without any hint of doubt. As you wind through the Bible, you will often see God reminding us of a promise that was given and then fulfilled, or maybe a petition that's granted. While in Egypt, Joseph, when he was 110 years old, he was on his deathbed and he called all of his brothers from, the, from Israel, the sons of Israel together, and he said these words to him, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. In fact, this is such an important thing that he did, saying that I know God is going to do this thing, and I want you to take my bones out of Egypt and back to the land that is promised to us. That is the one thing of all the great things that he did in his life. That is the thing that he is commemorated for and remembered for in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the Christian hall of fame of faith. That one thing, take my bones out of here. It's saying that I know that my end is near, but there is something coming that will be fulfilled. And I want you to do this thing for me. About 200 years later, after Joseph made his prophecy, Moses received his commission from the Lord and came to the people of Israel who were by this time were forced to, they were forced uh, in forced labor and they were reduced to hard bondage. And he showed them the signs of the Lord and he demonstrated those signs of the Lord in their presence in order for them to understand that he was chosen to lead them out of the land of bondage. In fulfillment of Joseph's prophecy that happened several hundred years earlier, the Bible records this. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. 
God visited his people in fulfillment of the promise spoken through Joseph. And actually, it was a promise that was given to Abraham even a couple hundred years before that. And then many hundreds of years later, in a time of similar hardship and trial, we read another petition made by a psalmist. They're in the land of Babylon. They're looking for restoration. In this particular psalm, the 106th psalm, is speaking of the joy of forgiveness of Israel's sins. And in this psalm, this person writes these words, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation. Zachreni Yehovah birtson amecha pokedeni bishua techa. This is the word of the Lord in Hebrew, and it has something wonderful hidden in it. After the people have been brought out of the captivity of Egypt and through the water of the Red Sea, eventually they forgot about the mighty deeds of the Lord. And after that, because of their unfaithfulness, off to exile, they went to Babylon. And in that exile in Babylon, the psalmist cries out to the Lord to visit him. Oh, visit me with your salvation, he says. Yes, Lord, visit me with your salvation. And the word for salvation in that psalm, it's Yeshua. It's the name of the Lord Jesus. And once again, in fulfillment of that petition by the psalmist, we read where this verse was finally realized. And we read it in the New Testament, the book of Luke chapter one. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, speaking to his young, his baby son, uh, John the Baptist, he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. It's very important to take these things and to understand them and to tie them together like this. You see, God is not doing something arbitrary or one thing at a time just here and there, but he is giving his word and then he is fulfilling it. And as he does, he gives us pictures of things to come. And Isaac is one of those pictures. In the entire Old Testament, few were conceived and brought into the land of the living like Isaac was. In this then, he is a picture of the coming Christ, the holy seed of the woman who was promised all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Just as Isaac was promised before he was born and then was long anticipated by Abraham, so was Jesus. But before Isaac came Ishmael and Abraham thought he was the son of promise. In the same way, before Jesus was born came the law. The people thought this is God's plan for redemption, but Ishmael was replaced by Isaac and the law was replaced by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the set time, just as God promised to return and give a son 
through Sarah, he also promised to return and give his son through a woman, a redeemer for all who would believe. Paul tells us that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God, he promised salvation and it came at the right time and in the perfect way. And Isaac, his name, it means laughter. And he brought laughter into the world for his parents. How much more did the son of God bring laughter to the entire world? Laughter mixed with unending joy. As Matthew Henry says of this particular verse, when the sun of comfort is risen upon the soul, it is good to remember how welcome the dawning of the day was. What was seemingly impossible to Sarah, what seemed like an impossible hope to the Israelites when they were in the bondage of Egypt, and what came as a cry of, for mercy from their affliction by the psalmist when they were off in Babylon, God has always been attentive to the cries of his people and to his promises, even in things which seem impossible. He always delivers. As we're ready for our next verse, I want to tell you this. Back in chapter 17, God finally revealed to Abraham that he would have a son through Sarah. Up until that point, his only son was Ishmael, the son of Hagar the Egyptian. And it was during that time that God changed Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah. And it showed that she was to be the mother of promise. When he made the promise, he spoke these words to Abraham. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set time next year. We come to verse 2 now. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Using the exact same term from chapter 17, Lamoed, the set time, we are reminded again of the faithfulness of God. Here's the promise. Sarah shall bear to you at the set time next year. And here's the fulfillment. Sarah conceived and bore at the set time God had spoken. This is a great God, and this is a wonderful Lord. In this verse, it says that she bore Abraham a son in his old age. This has the flavor of something like for his old age. In other words, the old age of Abraham is not a limiting factor in the conception of this child that had to be overcome, like the barren womb of Sarah. Instead, it is an affirmation that his old age will be filled with this child, rather than his old age being the difficult days, which we can all expect, and which Solomon describes in the book of Ecclesiastes. It will be for Abraham a time of laughing and a time of rejoicing over the son of his old age. As the days go by, each one of us is getting older. We're getting pains. We're getting joint aches, we're starting to fall apart, and we anticipate difficult times ahead. But in the Lord, even at the very worst times, if we are Christians, it is better than the very best times apart from him. And the reason why is because we have the sure hope that this life and its hard walk is only temporary. That's something that non-believers don't have. I personally cannot wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. And he's going to make all things new when he comes. He's going to give us a new body. He's going to give us a new direction. He's going to give us an eternity of joy. All of these things are really, really coming to the faithful believer in Jesus. But right now, by faith, we wait for them. So stand fast in these promises and be assured that all things will be far more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. In the sermon, 
of Genesis 17, where God revealed to Abraham that he would have a son through Sarah, I read this as our text verse. We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Yes, the Lord did great things for Israel when he brought them back from the captivity of Babylon, but he has done great things for people throughout the ages, filling them with abundant joy and immense laughter. And that brings us to our second thought today, which is the Lord brings laughter to his people. Verse three, and Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Again, in fulfillment of the word from the Lord and obedience to it, this verse is given to us. In Genesis 17, verse 19, we read these beautiful words from God to Abraham. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. The promised son had come, and Abraham names him Yitzhak, for laughter is his name. It's in fulfillment of the Lord saying, this is what you're to name him. And as a note of vindication of the Lord's word, the verse notes whom Sarah bore to him. No laughter of doubt, no anxiety over what might or what might not happen, no fear of stepping off a cliff into some eternal void exists with God. Instead, we have the absolute assurance that what he says will come to pass. Though Satan and all of the armies of hell fight to thwart his word, not a single letter, not a single part of a letter will ever fail to be accomplished. When the Lord speaks, it's already done. We merely have to stand back and see the wondrous workings of God. God created time, space, and matter, and so he's outside of those things. He knows the end, and he knows what's right for you, and he knows how to get you to that point so that you will be fine. He will take care of these things. And I know that if you're struggling right now, you're thinking this can't be, it can be. The Lord will take care of you and give you an eternity of joy. We come to verse four. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. This is our fourth verse of today, and it is the fourth verse which reaches back to a previous part of God's word. Here's where we read this in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 12. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. God commanded and Abraham obeyed in detail. Isaac was circumcised not on the first day, not when he was 12 years old, it was on the eighth day. And I have to wonder if this made our little laughter cry when he was circumcised. But in his normally poetic way of looking at these type of things, we read this commentary about this verse from Matthew Henry. He said, God had kept time in performing the promise. He said, I'm gonna give you a son at the set time, and it happened. And therefore, Abraham must keep time in obeying the precept. He said, I want you to circumcise on the eighth day, and Abraham obeyed. We come to verse five. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Isaac, the child of laughter, was born when Abraham was having his 100th, his centennial celebration. This was a full 25 years after moving from Haran down to Canaan, and it is 14 years after the birth of Ishmael. 
The year of Isaac's birth is 2,109 Anno Mundi, or from creation. In just 1,895 more years, the Son of God is going to be born about 45 miles north of where Abraham is now, down in Beersheba. No amount of time, no amount of distance is too difficult for God to span in order to fulfill his promises to his people whom he foreknows. In the next two verses we look at, Sarah sings out two exclamations that are almost poetic in nature. The first of these is verse 6, which actually comprises two sentences in the Hebrew. Here's what it says, verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. In Hebrew she says, Vatomer Sarah sehuk asali, Elohim chol hashomea yitzak li. You can hear the rhyming in her voice. Her words turn here on the word laugh. This, however, is completely different than the incredulous laugh of chapter 18, where doubt ruled the day. This laugh is a laughter of both wonder and delight at what has happened, and she acknowledges God's sovereign power to overcome even a barren womb in her old age. And in the process, God makes other people laugh as well. It's not just Sarah but those who hear the message. As Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear it will laugh with me. This is very similar to what Elizabeth happened when she conceived uh, John the Baptist. Here she was, an older lady. She had a barren womb. She got news that she would now bear, and Luke records this. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Yes, There is joy and there is rejoicing over these things. But how much more of even greater things? If God can regenerate the barren womb, he can also restore life from the overflowing tomb. He did it for his own son, raising him from the dead by the power of the resurrection. And he promises to do it for faithful believers in him as well. The earth's womb, which devours our family, it devours our loved ones and our friends, it will eventually devour us as well. But someday it will be emptied of everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. That day is coming and the promise is sure. Eternal laughter will replace our temporary sadness. Verse seven, she also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I born him a son in his old age. The turning note of the previous verse was laughter, but the turning note of this one is triumph not only of her previous unbelief, but of anyone who would not believe it as well. What nobody, nobody could have expected has come to pass. She has accused herself of past ingratitude, and now she shouts triumph over it, for I have borne him a son in his old age. And that makes a very good point for me to stop and tell you that even though you may have to wait for the promises of the Bible to come about in your own life, they will come to pass. The people of God have waited 2,000 years for Jesus Christ to return. And you can see Paul in some of his letters he's writing, and it almost seems like he thinks the Lord is coming soon. And yet 2,000 years later, we're waiting for him to come in the clouds and to take us home. And there is no doubt, there is no doubt it's going to happen. He will come. We're waiting for a time when we won't lose family members, and it is coming. We're waiting for a time when Jesus is going to sit in Jerusalem, in Israel, and he's going to send the fourth forth the law out of Zion. And I tell you, that is coming. And we're waiting for the whole world to be renewed like the Garden of Eden. 
and it is coming. Don't get frustrated. It is coming. Every promise that God has made will come to pass, just as his word records. So be still and wait patiently. It will all come to pass. And you know what? That brings us to our third and final thought of the day, which is great feasts before the Lord. This is verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. In one verse, we've just skipped over three years of Isaac's life. So the child grew and was weaned, it says. The Hebrew time until this turn in the life of the child is three years of age. We learn this from two places. The first we learn it from is the book of two Maccabees, which is not a canon book of the Bible. It's not a part of the Bible, but it does give us valuable information about the Hebrew society. Here's what it says in two Maccabees chapter seven. Leaning over her son, she fooled the cruel tyrant by saying in her native language, my son, have pity on me. Remember that I carried you in my womb for nine months and nursed you for three years. I have taken care of you and looked after all your needs up to the present day. The second is right from the Bible. It's from the book of two Chronicles. It's at a time when King Hezekiah was reigning over the land and we see the age of the Israelites who were counted old enough to be considered as viable citizens requiring normal food to eat. Here's what it says from the book of two Chronicles chapter 31. Besides those males from three years old and up who were written in the genealogy, they distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. Once Isaac reached this age of three years old and was considered fully capable of living on solid food rather than his mother's milk, Abraham throws this giant party. And the reason why he did that is similar to why cultures around the world still do it to this day. It's because until a child is on solid food, rather than his mother's milk, he will have a much better chance of living once he's off his mother's milk, in other words. And once that certain age is met in whatever a society determines, they usually throw a big party, like Abraham is doing here, because now they know he's going to probably live until adulthood. And I know that I was in a Korean church for three years, and uh, the Korean people would have this celebration at the first year. They figured he's lived the first year, he'll probably live to maturity. And they'd have a big party and they'd bring rice, and that was a symbol that the child could now eat rice. And so this is what cultures do. America doesn't do it because we have a very high rate of child living. They don't die as infants, but that wasn't always the case in the world, and it still isn't the case in many cultures. This is what's going on here. When that day came, Abraham gave a feast, or what's known in Hebrew as a miste. This is the second time that such a meal has been introduced in the Bible. The first was when the two destroying angels went down to Sodom, and Lot invited them into his home, and he gave them a meal. And it, there in chapter 19, it said, he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. This first miste, or feast in the Bible, was the result of the outcry of wickedness against a city, and it ended in sadness and loss of life. The next misday in the Bible, the one we're reading about today, ends in the happy birth and growth of this son of promise, and it will lead to a long and prosperous life of this child of laughter. There are many other feasts mentioned in the Bible as well, by both pagans and by God's faithful people, but there is also another kind of feast that the Bible speaks of. These feasts are detailed in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, and they're known as the feasts of the Lord. There were eight of these feasts that were mandated for the people of Israel to attend to. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what they are, and then I'm going to give you a very short explanation of each feast. The feasts are the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason why I'm giving you these now is that even though they are different from the feast that is being conducted for Isaac by Abraham, these feasts were given at specific times in Israel's history and to celebrate specific events. And next week, we are going to see how Isaac's Feast of Weaning actually prefigures one of the feasts of the Lord. And so what I want you to do I want you to read Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 13. And I want you to think about the feast that I'm going to explain now. And I want to see if you can guess which feast is being prefigured in Isaac's weaning feast right here. It's very interesting and something I'd never thought of until I started this sermon. And it suddenly dawned on me, there's more to what's going on here than I realized. Anyway, here are the the, the feasts in order. The first is the Sabbath. It was a weekly feast, and it was to celebrate God's rest and his redemption. This was fulfilled by Jesus, and it is the reason why we do not have a Sabbath in Christianity now. We have a day of worship or whatever, but we don't observe a Sabbath. Hebrews 4.3 confirms that it's fulfilled. It says, now we who believe, meaning in Jesus Christ, do enter that rest. Our rest is in Christ Jesus and his work, not in a Sabbath day. The next one is called the Passover. It was fulfilled by Jesus as is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. His blood is what causes God's judgment to pass over us. We are now free from the penalty of sin. The next feast is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread and it was fulfilled by Jesus as is recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes there, you truly are unleavened. Because of this, Paul says we should keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven, unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ Jesus fulfilled it. We are positionally in Jesus Christ, and therefore we are unleavened, or we are without sin. And Paul, when he says for us to keep the feast, does not mean that we are to keep the Old Testament feast, but we are to keep the memory of the feast in our walk, our daily walk, by living in a holy and sinless state as much as possible. The next feast is the Feast of First Fruits. It was fulfilled by Christ, as Paul notes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First Fruits then was a picture of the resurrection. The next one is called the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot, and it occurred 50 days after the um, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there in, or I'm sorry, the Feast of First Fruits, and there the Feast of Weeks we see is fulfilled in chapter 2 of the book of Acts by Jesus when he poured out the Holy Spirit on the believers. The Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost, meaning 50 or 50 days. And it is something that we reflect on 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it, as I said, commemorates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The next feast in order is the Feast of Trumpets. This was fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the day of his birth, just as the Bible details. The same day that these people were blowing these trumpets all over Israel and rejoicing, they could not have realized 
that their trumpet blasts were actually ushering in the king of the universe. And then we come to the next feast. It's called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur in Hebrew. And it was fulfilled by Christ as Paul records in Romans chapter 3. There he writes, being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God did set forth a mercy seat. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat and the mercy seat is the place of atonement, feast fulfilled. And then finally, we have the last feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot in Hebrew. This was fulfilled in Christ when he put on this tabernacle of flesh and he dwelled among us. In the book of John, the first chapter, the 14th verse, it says these words, and the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten of a father, full of grace and truth. You see, for the people of God who have called on Jesus, every good thing promised by him in the Old Testament is fulfilled in him in the new. He is the Lord of all of the feasts, and he is the one with whom we will dine someday at a great table of abundance. And no wonder King David wrote the beautiful words of the 23rd Psalm, probably thinking about that time. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus, there are no guesses. In Jesus, there is no speculation as to whether he can fulfill his promises. In Jesus, there is no worry that he will turn away from those who have called on him. You see, in Jesus Christ, there is only truth and surety. And if you've never taken the time to trust this great and wonderful king and beautiful savior, let me explain real quickly how you can and why you need to. The Bible says that we have sinned, and we all know we've sinned. The Bible says that we inherited sin from our first father, Adam, so we're already condemned, but we've heaped sin upon that. And the Bible does say that the wages of sin is death. And that is an eternal death. It's a spiritual death that separates us eternally from God our Father. But it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And all he asks us to do is to simply call on Jesus as Lord. Stop trying to earn God's favor through our own merits and to say, I can't do it. I can't go back to where I hadn't sinned and save myself. And so I need you, oh God, to forgive me. And he will. And when he does, he will promise you and guarantee you eternal life, free from pain, free from suffering. He will give you beauty and glory instead of the ashes that we deserve. What a wonderful Lord and Savior. Call on him today. And now I want to remind you that next week we're going to go ahead and finish. Uh, I don't know if we're going to finish chapter 21, but we're going to do chapter 21, verses 9 through verse 21. And that sermon will be called Cast Out the Bondwoman and Her Son. And so, so uh, as we finish today, I'd like to go ahead and read you a poem that I did based on the eight verses that uh, we reviewed today, and then we'll be done. This poem is called He Brings Laughter, and Laughter is His Name. It's based on Genesis 21, verses 1 through 8. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Though it seemed certain that her womb was dead, the word of the Lord came, surety in this token. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. It was in his old age that this did occur. At the set time God had spoken, so it was done. 
The child came because the promise was sure. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac as instructed. He was eight days old when the rite was conducted. This was just as God had commanded in the past. The day came about and he was circumcised at last. Now Abraham was 100 years old. At the time when Isaac was born to him, never would someone believe if told. Almost anyone would think the chances were slim. But it happened and Sarah joyfully said, God has made me laugh. I am filled with joy. All who hear will laugh with me instead of never believing I'd have a bouncing baby boy. She also stated, who would have spoken to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children like this? For I have borne him a son in his old age. No joking. This child has brought on an abundance of bliss. So the child grew and was weaned because on God's faithfulness they leaned. And Abraham made a feast on the same day. When Isaac was weaned, he threw an enormous partay. The promises of God for Abraham and Sarah came true. And the promises of God will do likewise for you. We have these promises revealed in a book. The Holy Bible is where they are to be found. Please open it up and take a look. The words are true. The instruction is sound. They tell us of Jesus and all that he did when we were lost in a sea of sin and death. He has saved us from hell and yes, God forbid, we fail to accept him before we take our last breath. Please call today on the Lord and accept his offer of eternal life. Surety is found in him and in his word. Put away now the body of strife. All glory to him for every breath. God has saved us from eternal death. Victory in Jesus is our guarantee. Come to the Lord and this you will see. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, here we are in your glorious presence and here we are thanking you for this wonderful story that shows a promise made and a promise fulfilled and how your whole Bible does this. It says that Jesus is coming and he comes and it says that we will be given eternal life and we call on him and it is granted and that will be realized some glorious day when he comes personally for us and he takes us to be with him forever and how we long for that day and how we exalt you and magnify you and may you be magnified in our hearts and in our lives all the days of our lives. Oh God, be glorified through how we live our lives in your presence. Oh God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.